Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Sons and daughters of the living God, happy Sabbath. My name is Chris and I have the privilege of working with the youth here at Loma Linda University Church. A few years ago, my wife and I were living in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. And we attended a debate that was being hosted at the Melbourne University. The debate was between Peter Singer and a representative from the Melbourne Faculty of Theology. Now, Peter Singer is a famous Australian moral philosopher and he currently sits as the chair of bioethics at Princeton. He's made many arguments about the welfare of animals and he has an amazing vegetarian cooking book. He believes in giving radically and generously to the poor. But he does also stand in quite strong opposition to faith. And so an individual there from the Melbourne Faculty of Theology was willing to debate him on matters of faith. We entered the auditorium and the auditorium was packed and people were there for a fight. They wanted sharp words. They were looking for blood in the water. As the debate began, the two individuals stepped forward. And I apologize, I've actually forgotten and could not find the name of the individual who was representing Christianity that night. I do remember though that he was unfairly good looking. He won the genetic lottery. He looked like a movie star. He was six foot five. As he began though, the tone by which he began, he didn't come for a fight. He actually began by complimenting Peter Singer. And time and time again, he said things like, listen, I'm grateful for the work of Peter Singer. And I understand the premises that Peter begins with. And if I began where he began, I can see his conclusions. They make sense. They're rational. But then he would say things like, but from my position and where I begin, I reach these conclusions. He was humble. He was kind. He was considerate of Peter's position. When Peter came to the podium to share his half of the argument, you could see that he was thrown. I've seen Peter speak before, and he began by saying, well, this is unusually congenial. He threw a few lines out that were sharp and stinging, but that night they just kind of landed flat. And Peter began to respond in kind and actually gave concessions to the argument that had made just previously. As they went on, the debate was congenial and kind. What was really interesting that night was when it came time for the audience to ask questions of the presenters. The first hand went up and I said, listen, I'd like to ask a question of the individual who's arguing for Christianity. And then the second question went to him as well. And then the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth question. By the time the audience had asked six questions, when that question was asked, there was a giggle in the audience. The individual who was arguing for Christianity, he was kind. He said, listen, thank you for the questions, but I, I, Peter has traveled from London tonight for this. Can, can we have a question for him? <laughs> and so a question went to Peter, but then another question came back to him. I'm not exaggerating. 90% of the questions went to the individual who was arguing for Christianity that night. 
as I was walking away, I was trying to work out why he was so successful. And it wasn't just because he was really good looking. I think he had followed the golden rule of conversion. He had simply converted unto others as you would have them convert unto you. He was successful because he was the sort of person I would want to be converted by if I had a position different to his. He was kind, he was open, he asked questions. He gave someone the gift of conversation instead of a debate. Today we're continuing our series on the gift of gap, giving the gift of life-giving conversations. And today we're talking about gospel conversations. And today I want to do this, and I want to show you an example from the scriptures of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and a conversation, just a conversation that changed history. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. And to set the context, the eunuch would have been castrated for a purpose. As a young man showing signs of genius and brilliance, he would have been set aside to serve the queen of Ethiopia. Now that country in those days, they did have a king. But that king was considered a child of the sun, and as such, he was too holy to be involved in the affairs of the running of the country. And so it was left to the queen and her attendants to get anything done. And so, to protect the royal lineage, to make sure that the king's children were the kings, anybody who served with the queen would have been made as a eunuch. And as such, this young boy, he would have developed differently. He wouldn't have gone through the developments that a normal young man would go through. Without testosterone flowing through his body, his face would have been different. His voice would have remained noticeably higher. And what is interesting is the way in which testosterone actually plays a role in the hardening of the joints and the lengthening of the bones. And eunuchs were reported to all be unusually tall with unusually long, slender limbs. He was set aside for a purpose, but he was good at his job. He was respected, he was trusted, he was honest, he was in charge of all of the treasury. And in that position, he made a decision, as the text tells us, to go to Jerusalem to worship. Now, we don't know why he decided to walk across a third of Africa to go to church. That's quite a journey. But we don't know that he wanted to go. It's interesting. The book of Acts is written by Luke. And as Luke speaks about the Ethiopian eunuch, he never refers to him as a God-fearer, or as a near proselyte, or as a Gentile believer. All terms that would have been used for somebody who had already joined Judaism. No, he had not made that commitment, but he wanted to go to Jerusalem to worship. We don't know why he went, but we do know what he found when he got there. He would have found a temple uh, that rejected him because he was a eunuch. When he got there, this was the temple system that had just recently voted to kill the Christ. See, Christ came and said that access to God is free and it comes without condition. The temple system was there selling access and forgiveness for a price. This was the temple system that Christ had called a brood of vipers. This is the temple system that had been corrupted by legalism and racism and money. This is the temple system, and we know how they felt about the Gentiles and the Samaritans. And as such, this individual travels across a third of Africa to worship, and he is met with rejection. He would not have been allowed to offer an offering. He would have been kept in the outer courts. 
He is rejected for who he is. And that's a sad image, this young man standing out, impossible to hide, uniquely tall, dressed in the beautiful colours of Ethiopia, on the edge of the temple. I've worked in many churches. And let me say, on the whole, the churches that I've worked in have been places of deep and unconditional love. But I also know, and I can say, that there are many people who have felt rejected by the church. And let me say, if that is you, first of all, let me say, I am sorry. That should not be the case. If you were rejected by the church, it was the church that was wrong, not you who were wrong. The church is meant to be a place of unconditional acceptance. The other thing I know, and far too many people, they hold these beliefs, and they say things like, listen, I'm not good enough to go to church. Or they'll say things like, I might just clean my life up, and th then I'll go to church. No, 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 that is not how church is meant to work. And if we as a church has ever given a teaching that sounds like the temple of old, that simply says, if you are good enough, if you can give enough, then you can come. No, that is not how the grace of God works. Everyone is welcome in the church. And so the eunuch comes, and there he is rejected by the church. I like the eunuch's approach, though. He doesn't give up. And if you have been through a similar approach, let me say this, please don't give up on God. I like to think that the Ethiopian eunuch said, well, listen, if I can't get into the temple, uh, at least they'll sell me a scroll. And so he goes and he purchases a scroll. He goes to the shop and says, listen, what should I read? And they say, Isaiah, can I purchase one? Yes, it's expensive, though. These documents are handwritten on fine parchment with art. So I, no, I'll pay. I can pay. <laughs> and so the exchange is given, and this young man takes this scroll with him. The scriptures tell us that as he returns from Jerusalem, he is there in his chariot reading aloud. I, I love that image. He obviously treasures this scroll. But here's the thing. I struggle to read in the car. Reading in a car isn't easy, but my car has suspension and pneumatic tires and air conditioning and soft seats. In those days, a chariot, they had wooden wheels. They had no suspension. He is there in the middle of the desert, bouncing around on Roman cobblestone roads, trying to read the scroll of Isaiah. Not only is he trying to read it, he's reading it out aloud for everyone around him. He was loving what he was finding. You have this beautiful image of somebody who is desperate to know God. As he is approaching Isaiah 53, elsewhere, an angel of the Lord goes to Philip and says, Philip, it's time to wake up. I have a plan. Uh, Philip, uh, go south. And so Philip obeys and he does. As Philip heads south, he is given another instruction by the Spirit. And it is this, go to that chariot specifically. There would have been a long caravan of chariots to do a journey of that distance. You needed to do it with people. Now you can imagine Philip's surprise when the Spirit tells him to go join that caravan, a caravan of Ethiopians. Oh, what am I doing here? You'll find out, says the Spirit. But you can imagine even more of Philip's surprise when he finds an Ethiopian eunuch in charge of all of the treasury reading from a scroll in Isaiah. If we see someone who does not look like us, if we see someone who does not worship like us, if we see somebody who does not go to our church or share our faith, if we see somebody who does not talk about the same things, if we see somebody who looks like they might share a different 
moral or ethical system to us, we can never assume that God has not been with them. So many people have a divine history that we know nothing about and we only do damage if we judge them before we get to know them. God may have been working with them just as much as he has been working with us. And so Philip approaches and he approaches with this question and it's a beautiful spirit-led question. He approaches and he simply says, do you understand what you're reading? It's a question that seeks to know where the eunuch is at. It's a question that seeks to start a conversation and not a debate. I mean, he could have gotten it incredibly wrong. He could have run up and said, hey, listen, I, I hear you're reading the, uh, the scroll of Isaiah. That's my scroll. I know about God. Let me tell you all about this. I've got a 15-step plan for gaining God's approval. Step one, don't be a eunuch. Step two, be more Jewish. <laughs> uh, no, he goes up and he gives him the gift of conversation. The eunuch is obviously responsive to this question. And so he invites Philip to come up and sit in his chariot with him. It's a beautiful moment. There are these two, now friends, sitting in a chariot. I mean, this story is classically about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, but it's just as much about the conversion of Philip. Because Philip is about to learn that the God of the Jews is far more inclusive than he ever thought. And so the question is asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch, he responds and says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And again, in that question, there is absolute heartbreak. You can hear what happened. Like, he has just been to Jerusalem. Like, Jerusalem is the center of the place where there are scholars and law keepers. Jerusalem was the place where somebody should have been able to explain to him what Isaiah was all about. But clearly no one had. Clearly no one had, that's right, he's a eunuch. It's like somebody going off to Oxford and saying, well, listen, <clears throat> I've enrolled in their class in history and they come back after the first semester. And you say to them, how's it going? And they ought to say to you, well, listen, uh, there's no one there to teach me. Uh, you'd be like, wait, what? Like, you're at Oxford. That's the purpose of the place is to teach people. Jerusalem, the purpose of the place of Jerusalem was to teach people about Isaiah and the Ethiopian eunuch. No one was willing to teach him or answer his questions. When people have questions about faith, we must make space for them. When people come with questions, we must take those questions seriously and we must respect people's questions. Now the passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? As they're reading this passage, the Ethiopian eunuch asks a question that shows his genius. Clearly, this text is in the future tense, so it has yet to be fulfilled. And so he says, listen, was the prophet writing about his own future or was he writing about someone else? I love Philip's response. Beginning with that very passage, he preached to him Jesus. <laughs> it's such a good line. He preached that Jesus was the one who was silent before Pilate. He said Jesus is the one who did not open his mouth. Jesus was the one who was humiliated on the cross. Jesus was the one whose judgments were taken away. Jesus is the one who had no family. 
Jesus is the one who was cut off from this earth. Reading on through Isaiah, Jesus is the one who gave his life as an offering for sin. Jesus is the one whose days were prolonged even though he saw death. He saw the light of life after that. He says to the Ethiopian eunuch, this passage that we are reading 700 years ago, it was written, but just recently it has been fulfilled. When having a gospel conversation, like my homiletics professor once said to me, Chris, you don't need to talk about yourself so much. I love the way in which Philip came and preached Jesus. Testimonies are powerful. And there are times to tell your testimony. Paul encourages people to tell their testimony. But I like the example of Philip so much better. He begins with a question. He finds out where the Ethiopian eunuch is at. And then after that, he just preaches to him Jesus. When people speak to you about faith, just find out where they are and then speak to them about Jesus. And then last, at the end, share your testimony at the end. Yes, do it, but don't share your testimony first. <laughs> Just speak about Jesus. Because here's the thing, people might not be able to relate to you, but they will definitely be able to relate to Jesus. You can imagine what happened in the Ethiopian eunuch's heart when he read that Jesus himself had no family, no descendants to speak of. Now the story as it's recorded there in Acts, it is fairly brief. But I can imagine the conversation was not. The time span covered by this passage is long. And I am sure that as they preached, they read on. And can you imagine what happened as they turned through the scriptures? And then only three chapters later, in Isaiah 56, Philip read to the Ethiopian eunuch this passage. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and minister to him, to those that love the name of the Lord and keep his Sabbaths, all who keep my Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring into my holy mountain and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Ethiopian eunuch had just been rejected from the temple. It was not a house of prayer for him, for all nations. He was a foreigner. And yet there is this passage that is written. You can imagine the moment where he steps into that chariot and there joined by Philip. He reads this passage and Philip tells him that the passage on the suffering servant that was written 700 years ago has just been fulfilled in his lifetime. And then imagine that moment when <laughs> three chapters later, he literally reads about himself, quite specifically about himself. By that point, you'd feel like God has a purpose for your life, wouldn't you? <laughs> so the eunuch says to Philip, look, there's water. What stops me from getting baptized? And Philip essentially says nothing. And so they stop the chariot. The entire caravan comes to a stop and they go down into the water. He is immersed in the water and when he comes up, I love how the text puts it, the spirit takes Philip away, simply takes him. So there's this amazing moment where the caravan is stopped. All of the servants of Ethiopia and this man are standing there. They see the two of them walk down into the water and when they come up, they see the Ethiopian just standing there by himself because Philip has just been taken by the spirit. 
now I like the language there, uh, Philip found himself in Azotos. Like it sounds like he almost had to ask where he was. Like he was walking around Azotos saying, can somebody please tell me where I am? And they'll be like, you're in Azotos. You don't know where you are? He'll be like, I, I got here. It's a God thing. <laughs> the spirit took Philip out of his bed that morning and took him to the Ethiopian eunuch. If I was spirit, uh, Philip, I would at least want to be put back in my bed at the end of that day. But no, the, the spirit took Philip and placed him in Azotos. And then uh, Philip just continued to do what he does. He just preached his way home. And then the scriptures tell us that the Ethiopian eunuch, he went on his way rejoicing. He rejoiced all the way to Ethiopia. The story in Acts, well, it ends there. But the history created from that event, it doesn't. It's clear that the Ethiopian took the gospel back and he was effective in his witness. Skip ahead to the year 1534. Ethiopia has requested military aid from Portugal. And as they did, they were questioned by representatives of the Catholic Church as to why the Ethiopian Christian Church was observing the Sabbath. You see, there were Christians in Ethiopia that had roots farther back than the Catholic Church and the incidences with Constantine. And there they were faithfully keeping the Sabbath. You might recall that Isaiah 56 speaks a little bit about eunuchs who keep the Sabbath. Or elsewhere again, skip ahead, follow the history through to 1935. There, a well-known Jesuit publication in Madrid published a lengthy article about the church in Ethiopia in which the author notes, with all this, they have preserved many of the practices of the primitive church, which we Catholics have abandoned. For example, abstinence from the flesh of strangled animals, immersion in baptism, the rest on the Sabbath, and the celebration of the Lord's Supper. To this day, right now, there are 34 million Christians worshiping in Ethiopia. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, and then to all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia in those days was quite literally referred to as the ends of the earth. And I can imagine the early church wondering about how they were going to send the gospel. They had this prophecy behind them, but they weren't sure how they were going to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. But God wasn't confused. God wasn't unsure. God had a plan in an Ethiopian eunuch that none of them were expecting. We are often concerned ourselves about the future of our church. Far too often we hear statistics saying the future of the church is dead, no one's joining the church, we may as well pack up and go home. I'm not so concerned. Because I take seriously the words of Christ when he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. The church is going to go forward until its final culmination when it meets its bride to return at the second coming. The church is going to be okay. The problem is, is the church might go forward in unexpected ways. I guess that's probably all that I should expect. The leaders of the church of tomorrow, today, right now, they might be an angry atheist persecuting the church, like Saul was. They might be laborers working in fishing villages, like the disciples were. 
They might be ruling countries. We don't know who God is going to use next to take the gospel forward, but all we do know is we probably shouldn't expect what we expect, because God has a tradition of breaking our expectations. The early church weren't sure how the message was going to get to Ethiopia, and God said, no, I've got a plan. He's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He doesn't look like you. He's got tall, slender limbs, but he is my chosen servant, and he will take the gospel forward. Today, church, I just want to encourage you. Amazing things can happen. Historical things can happen if we just follow the Spirit. If we are just simply willing to have a conversation with people, even if they don't look like us, if we are simply just willing to teach about Jesus and tell people of the love that we have in Him. If we give others the gift of the gospel conversation, history can be changed. 